Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. Welcome, everyone, to another week of the Table Leadership Podcast. So excited to have you all here with us and really excited to get to introduce you to a new friend of mine. I uh, kind of feel like we already know each other because I'm good friends with his sister and we run in the same same network, same crowds. Um, wish we had had a chance to connect more before I left the East Coast, but glad to be able to pull up a seat today with David Bailey. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us at the table. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm, uh, I feel the feeling's mutual, but uh, we get out to the West Coast pretty often, so uh, we'll definitely hang out and eat something together. Yeah, awesome, man. If you're ever out here, <laughs> let me know. That's that's my favorite. <laughs> so uh, speaking of being able to get together and eat, um, we're going to get to that in a minute, but tell us a little bit about you, just kind of who you are, where you're from, what you do. Give us a little background and context. Yeah, totally. So I... Um, um, David Bailey, uh, I've been born and raised in Richmond, been here my whole life, uh, spent about, what, five or six weeks in a recording school in Chillicothe, Ohio, but for the most part, I've always lived in Richmond, and um, basically, the work of reconciliation, I, I kind of felt like I didn't choose it, it chose me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister and my family, uh, family and I uh, grew up in where my parents were really involved in urban ministry, uh, even though we, we were in the suburbs where racial minorities would move when they would like leave the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we literally went to church in the housing projects and, um, and my parents were really involved in a lot of urban suburban partnerships. And so growing up, I grew up with people when I'm racially, ethnically a minority when I'm in the suburbs, but then when I'm in the city, I'm an economic minority with power. And it's almost like the Cosby kids going to church in the hood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it wasn't like my, my parents were like doctors and lawyers. They were like working class. My mom was a teacher. My dad was like sole insurance and real estate. And, um, and like, you know, it, we weren't like super wealthy, but compared, comparatively speaking, they were like folks that were really um, poor and people who had a lot more money than us and different racial ethnic backgrounds. And so I was in and out a lot of different cultures Long story short, I started to play music, um, started playing around eight, became church piano player around 11, started doing gigs around 14. By the time I was 18 in the college, I'm at the country club, I'm at like the jazz club, I'm playing the Presbyterian church. The We grew up at a Pentecostal church and um, and I did the international church on, on Sunday evening, you know, and I just got a chance to experience a lot of different cultures and realized like, oh, you know what? When you're a music producer, you're a music director, you're a cultural anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And I started applying those skills because a lot of a lot of leaders, Christian leaders, uh, particularly and particularly and pastors, they don't think through their leadership through anthropological lenses. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can't you can't make a living as a professional musician if you don't <laughs> think about cultures and people and all that stuff. But you um, but a lot of churches tend to be very homogenous in their thinking. And uh, uh, a lot of Christian leaders tend to do that. So I started Airbond. My wife said, hey, you know what? you got a skill. I started Airbond in 2008. And uh, this is kind of what we've been doing ever since. 
And tell me a little bit about what does it look like when you go in and partner with an organization? What um, What's that relationship like? What kind of services do you walk them through? Yeah, so like what Airbon does is like, I mean, we basically uh, come alongside, the word Airbon means a foretaste of things to come. And so the, the word is used in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that means that the Holy Spirit is given to the church as a foretaste uh, of the kingdom of God that's to come. Well, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a tribe before you buy a policy. It's so there's a lot of different ways that you can be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And the way that we focus on it is being a reconciling community. Mm-hmm. You know, like every diverse community isn't a reconciling community. Mm-hmm. The NFL is a diverse community, but it's not a reconciling community, right? Um, but in, in every community may not even be a diverse community because of like, you know, Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. because of all of the like, how expensive it is mm-hmm. and all of the historical stuff that got it that way. Um, it's not going to be a diverse community for a, for a very long time, mm-hmm. but it can be like every Christian community ought to be a reconciled community. Mm-hmm. So we're working with Christian leaders to think through, hey, no matter what your demographic, what your time is, where you are, how can you be a reconciling community? How can you acknowledge that the world is broken? How can you partner with Christ in the reconciling of all things mm-hmm. and engage in that space? And so we work with, uh, we do training, we do trainings, but it's basically a consultant process. Like we help people like with kind of doing our surveys and interviews to understand the nature of the culture of the community. Mm-hmm. We do some um, trainings to give a shared knowledge, shared language in order to get a shared vision. Once you have that shared vision, we develop, give you strategies to kind of help them learn how to be a reconciling community within your community um, that, that we've co-worked together. And then we, we, we empower you with tactics to be able to work that out. So we work with organizations for over like at least 12 to 12 to 24 months mm-hmm. to actually help to bring about long lasting institutional change. Yeah. That's awesome. I have so many questions. So many questions. I can't wait to have this conversation. Okay. So I have to back up a little bit though. And I have to ask you, because I ask everyone this, um, is if we weren't virtual right now, if we were actually, you know, gathering a group of people to do the work that you do, uh, what would you be feeding us? All right, so I'm a, I'm a big foodie. I love, um, I, I don't even know if I'm a foodie. I, I love eating. I wish, uh, I wish I love exercising much. I love eating. And so, um, so one of my favorite things to do is when you're in Richmond, I'm like, hey, you tell me, like, like they ask you, like, what's your favorite restaurant? It's really hard for me to answer because I love eating and talk with people. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask you, hey, what's your favorite genre? So you got to go with your favorite genre of food. So if you're like, hey, I love Ethiopian, I would take you to Addis. Uh, if you're like, I want some soul food, I'll take you to the Crocus Spot, which is like a big historical African-American soul food spot. Um, I I love uh, Indian food, so I would take you to Farouk's house in India. Um, and then I have some friends of mine that have a really great dessert spot. They do, like, wine and dessert. Mm-hmm. And they have the best cakes in the world. Uh, they've actually been on, like, Food Network and all that stuff. So I would take you to Shindigs. So th- th- those would be some places that I would do. Oh, that sounds – all of it sounds good. Uh, I kind of asked, though, what's it like being a foodie during COVID? Well, you know um, – that's a good question. I mean, fortunately, uh, my wife cooks pretty well, uh, and I can quasi fend for myself. And so, uh, so you know, I haven't been suffering. Um, uh, you know, I'm nowhere near um, uh, uh, being malnourished by any means. <laughs> but like, you know, we've been doing like a couple of pickups. You know, we just just kind of go in and 
do a little bit of pickups, but it's just yeah. the, the social aspect of like sitting down in a restaurant and talking for hours is just mm-hmm. great. Oh, and I love Greek, like Greek food. So I would take you to this other place called um, uh, Stella's. Like, oh man, they, they have some of the best Greek Greek food. So, you know, when you come to Richmond, uh, we'll make it happen. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. I got to tell you, absolute favorite hands down food in the world is tacos. So where would you take me? You know, all right, so tacos, um, there is, I mean, well, I mean, I, I do tacos in, in, uh, in California, you know. Mm-hmm, now, it's hard to beat my tacos that I get here. Yeah, yeah, so I just, I mean, you know, we, you know, we in SoCal, so I just go wherever folks tell me. Now, when it comes to chain tacos, I know people are going to laugh at me about this, but I love chronic, we don't have chronic tacos here. But like it's like you know, so so for like the non you know the East Coast guy, when I at least want to go, like know what I can get. Anytime I see a chronic tacos, I'm like, yo, I'll, let me go there. You know, that's that's okay. I can I can deal with. That. I thought you were about to say Taco Bell, and I was gonna be like, listen, David, <laughs> listen, we need to have a whole other conversation. But right. um, okay, anyways, so um, circling back around to some of what you talked about, um, the work that you do, and I love that you made the distinction between diversity and reconciliation. And I want to ask you to talk about that a little bit. I think it's so important for us to understand the difference because, especially in recent years, you know, there's this whole push in the marketplace and in faith-based communities for diversity. You know, we want to be diverse, but like you said, just because you're diverse doesn't mean you're reconciled. And if you yeah. oftentimes, if you push for diversity without addressing reconciliation, I feel like it just creates even more problems because when you bring these cultural diversities together, it's there's some issues just waiting to happen if it's not built on a foundation of reconciliation. So can you just kind of talk about the difference? How would you define the difference between the two? And what does it really look like to be not just a diverse community, but a reconciled community? Yeah, I mean, so for us, like, and I, there's a lot of people have problems with the word um, racial reconciliation, which I'm totally, I totally get. So uh, it's two things. One is, there's an assumption when you use the word reconciliation in a relational context is that you're trying to bring people together the way that they originally were. And when you know about the American story, mm-hmm. you know, Europeans, Africans, and indigenous people weren't, um, you, you don't bring that relationship back. They weren't equals, you know, it wasn't a good story, you know, but for us, uh, the other part about it too is that there's also a lot of baggage where, in like particular like evangelical circles, mm-hmm. um, the the racial reconciliation movement was oftentimes um, negotiated on white normativity mm-hmm. and and kind of like white cultural norms. And so, so even you know, I've been working with my, um, there's some stuff for Oprah, I've been working with Barna and, and Michael Emerson, and there's some data coming out. Uh, now, just even how like um, multicultural churches, multiracial churches uh, weren't always necessarily any less racist than uh, homogenous churches. And I think I think here's the reason why it's because and the reason why we fight for the word reconciliation in our ministry and we still use that word is because as Christians, we don't have to wonder if the world's broken. Mm-hmm. We know that the world is broken. Mm-hmm. You know, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with creation has been broken. But the good news is that it wasn't always this way, that the world was whole at the beginning, 
that it was it was uh, um, beautiful, it was diverse, and it was good, you know. And so, so that is like the start. Like diversity is the start of wholeness and shalom and flourishing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for us, it's like, hey, we're rooting that word in that context. And then things are broken. And so, Christ is in the process of reconciling all things. And so, part of what we have to do is say, hey. Let's be aware of the details of what's broken. Um, let's be see where Christ is at the work of reconciling all things. And like, let's listen for the invitation for the Holy Spirit to help us to partner with Christ in the reconciling all things. And so, so that's, that's kind of our starting point. And we have a particular area, an area a particular grace in the area of race, class, and culture. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're just like trying to give people that uh, level of uh, conversation and insight on what to do. Um, and, and particularly help organizations and institutions, uh, think Christian organizations, and institutions to think through, okay, how do we do this practically? So that, that's kind of how, how we do it, what we're doing. And I think that's a little bit, I think, again, I, I'm not knocking anything. It's different between diversity and training. It's diverse, different between like inclusion. It's different between even like anti-racism or cultural intelligence. Like all, like, I think all of those are tools, but I think as Christians, the kingdom of God is our is our end. And so you can use different tools to get to that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the fact that the work of reconciliation, that this is kingdom work, that this is yeah. the work of Jesus. Cause I think, you know, it took me a long time to fully understand that, you know, I mean, I was, I wasn't raised overtly racist by any means, you know, we were raised to right. love everyone, treat everyone equal, but it, there wasn't an awareness of the need for reconciliation and what it really meant to be an activist. And it took a long time. I mean, I was in my adult years before I really understood that as a believer, I actually carry the mantle of being a reconciler. It's not just that, oh, some people are called to reconciliation. Some people are called to be activists, you know, to, to fight against racism and sexism and ageism and everything else. This is actually part of our mandate as children of God, as as ambassadors of the kingdom. That automatically implies that we are, in a sense, activists because we are to be working for the reconciliation of all things. And I've had yes. some people say this, you know, ask me before, well, well, which are you? Are you a, are you a pastor or are you an activist? And and I have to say, I I can't separate the two. And we've had a number yeah. of guests. You know, we, we have this conversation a lot at the table because I feel like it's really the foundation of the kingdom. And, and I've gotten some feedback before in the past where people said, man, I, you know, I want to talk about leadership and faith. And I thought this was about leadership, but you really spend a lot of time talking about activism. And, and I just... I have to respond and say, because I believe you cannot separate the two. I cannot be a Christian. I cannot be an ambassador yep. of the kingdom and not care about reconciliation. I can't yeah. be one and not also be an activist because that wickedness yes. between genders, between race, between class, between everything else, that is part of the brokenness of the world. And yes, child of God, reconciliation is the foundation of everything. And so I think if there was one message that all of my listeners could really grasp, and I know it's especially these days, you know, there's so much tension and and I totally get that. And even just the term activist has a lot of baggage that comes with it. And I understand that, but um, I think the more 
that we continue to separate the two and to put that burden on someone else and to say, well, I'm not called to be an activist, so I don't bear responsibility in that. We are not going to see the kingdom of God at work in this world to the extent that we should be. We're not going to experience the shalom that you mentioned until we understand that as a child of God, reconciliation is absolutely my duty. And so I I just love to kind of hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and, and so I mean, even like the word activism, um, and and you know, if do I have the power to share my screen? Uh, you do. Yeah, our audio podcast won't get to see it, but our video people will. So I want to encourage everyone that's listening. Remember that we have a YouTube channel as well. You can find us on YouTube at the Table Leadership Podcast, and we always post our videos there. All right. So Ari, if you give me permission, then I'll I'll, I'll pull up a um a, a video. I mean, not a video, but like a, a little slide deck because. You know, people, while you do that, people oftentimes think through the, um, uh, uh, they hear the word activism and they think, okay, that means people are going to like tear stuff down, you know, it, and, and unfortunately with some of the like spinning of dialogue and conversation when it, like protesting and looting mm-hmm. is all conflated, you know, um, in the dialogue right now, of which I just want to say, um, it's all about perspectives. Mm-hmm. Because I, I want to say we call the Boston Tea Party a party, and we call what just happened a few months ago looting. Yeah, and it was the same thing, <laughs> you know. Like so, I just want to say it's like, and and, and you know, um, because you know, basically the early, um, the early uh, uh, you know founders and all they they were upset with the quote unquote oppression of the King of England, right? Mm-hmm. And so what they did was to kind of give attention. They, yeah, some people threw stuff and caused damage, but a lot of people stole some of the tea because they didn't like the taxes that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so now they're celebrated because we started our country. We have this like Independence Day. And this, again, this was an act of violence. This war was an act of violence. And so, I mean, for me, as a Christian, you know, I I, I have a, at least like, I mean, I, I have somewhat of a, um, I mean, not somewhat, I mean, I, to bring about change, I don't think violence is the answer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, this is a different conversation. If you're talking about like, are you uh, a law enforcement officer or in the military? I mean, but I think these are very complicated questions for Christians. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, you know, the first hundreds of years of Christianity, these are very complicated theological questions, mm-hmm. but that's not the conversation that we're having. The conversation we're having right now is, is that it's okay for some people to loot for some people to protest, for some people to uh, uh, exercise the Second Amendment rights and other people not. And this is important that we just name that. Mm-hmm. But the word activism doesn't even mean that. It means like, hey, you're doing something to bring about change. You just aren't letting things happen. And so I want to just kind of talk about um, your brand of activism that uh, folks can you know, engage in. And so mm-hmm. You know, we all don't do activism the same thing. I, I have not been at one protest, you know. Um, that's just now I spend my energy, you know. I don't knock it. I, I'm with friends who are activists. I allow, allow my activist friends to educate me and tell me about certain things. Sometimes they exhaust me because they're, like, so woke. And I'd be like, you know, <laughs> I'm a pretty, like, guy, but great day, bro. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's you know, we 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 all got our areas. So here's a couple of different ways you maybe could find your brand of activism. Yeah. 
some people might be systems thinkers. You know, like there are people who realize the system needs to change, but not really have an imagination of what the details are. And some folks are gifted in that area. You could be an entrepreneur. You could be like a person that can fix your systems. Um, mm-hmm. Some folks are navigators. You know, they get a sense. They know what truth is, and they kind of go after. And they say, "Hey, this is this isn't right." Something's not right about this. We need to go in this direction. They might not quite fully understand where it is, but they know where North is. They have the sixth sense of it. They yeah. tend to be very prophetic voices. These tend to be the people that oftentimes are quote unquote activists the way that you stereotypically think about the word activist. They might be ones that lead protests, the things of that nature. But the challenge is they need systems thinkers to say, so once they say like, hey, maybe we need to defund the, the police, or we might say we need to, or, or another way of really understanding what people are saying about defunding the police is like, hey, let's, let's, rework on how we do funding with policing and reimagine it a lot of marching to say systems thinkers to also have okay what's the alternative right yeah. you know and, and 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 that's why you need both systems thinkers and navigators but um this is true not just only in policing this is true in all different areas of life but sometimes you need recruiters people that are going to be like hey you know Come on, on. Let's do this thing. Like, let's do, or, or like, let, let me get you on board. Let me kind of sell you on this concept and ideas. You know, other people might be culture companions. Like, you might not be the person that might be in the ring, but you're the one saying, "Hey, you know, uh, um, you can do it." Or, you know, stop dropping your left because that's kind of where you know this is happening. You got to ask somebody on the outside that's kind of helping people to see what's going on, and they kind of shepherding this space. And then you have the educator. Um, you know, that's the teacher, the one that kind of helps to figure out stuff and what's going on. And that's what, I mean, that's the work that I do. Like, I'm, I'm both a systems thinker and an educator. And what the Arabon ministry does, it's a ministry that kind of helps people from a coaching companion to say, like, hey, this is what you do in your institution on how to be a reconciling community. Because, you know, uh, if you were, you know, if you, let's say, for instance, you had a church, you were on staff at a church. Your church in Hampton is very different than your church in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to need some some coaching to figure out, okay, I can't do the same exact thing that I was doing before. I need to do something different. Yeah. And that's how, you know, you figure those things out. That was so incredibly helpful because I feel like, like you said, the navigator role is what we're automatically drawn to. Is, oh, okay, if 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 being a child of God means that I am a reconciler, then it means that I got to stop everything else I'm doing and commit my whole life to being an activist. And I need to be out at the protest and I need to be doing this work. But the fact that you broke it down into those different roles, that was helpful just for me to understand that this can absolutely be my heart and the work of my life, but it's going to look really differently from you know, my friend Latasha Morrison, who has the whole yeah. bridge organization, like she yeah. is very actively doing that work and my role yeah. and my responsibility in it is going to be different based on what God has called me to and how I'm wired. And so I just think, I mean, I mean, everyone else who's listening, I'm sure it's resonating, but just for me personally, I'm sitting here like, oh yeah, that's so good. Cause I think it's really easy to kind of have this one model of what it's supposed to look like. And we do this with everything. Yeah. Right? I mean, we do this with reconciliation. We do this with leadership. We do this with, yep. but this is the model. This is the mold. And for me to be a leader, I have to look like this or for me to be a reconciliation. Yeah. This is what it looks like. And to just break yeah. that whole down and to take down all the barriers and to say, like, no, there is as much 
diversity in what reconciliation looks like as there is in the kingdom of God. And I think that's really helpful and critical because it adds value. It adds value to, like you said, the systems thinker, the person who's really more behind the scenes. You're not going to see them at a protest. You're going to see them behind the scenes doing the difficult work. And it adds value to every role that each of us plays. Yes, totally, totally. And it's real important, I mean, you know, because even like Tasha and I are kind of in a similar um, space, but even with us, what we do is very different. And then like what we do is very different than some of the other folks who are like activists, you know, and, um, and or Brian Stevenson, like, I mean, you know, like these are all people doing different roles. And, and we're so, I mean, I got this from Tasha, we were in Nashville one time, and she was like, you know, all of this racism around here, it's plenty of work for everybody to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, and so, you know, it's, I, and I think if we could have some imagination, one is like, one, not to see ourselves as competitors, but then two, um, to also not be like, hey, if it doesn't look like this, then I don't have a role in that, you know, yeah. and I think we, we all, and, and, and so what we're encouraging people to do is like, hey, if you do leadership, how can you do leadership, leadership coaching? How can you do that in a reconciling way where your community is a reconciling community mm-hmm. and, and, and really trust the Holy Spirit to lead you into that way and, and yeah. start the journey in that direction? That's so good. So I want to ask you this on the individual level, and obviously we want this to be, you know, organizational and, and systemic, you know, fix systemic things, but just on the individual level, how would someone begin to kind of assess and determine what they are geared towards? Am I a systems person? Am I actually going to be out there actively doing stuff as a navigator? Am I the educator teacher? You know, I mean, obviously it's probably sort of obvious to us when we know how we're built and what our capacity is and what our gifting is. Um, But how might someone just individually kind of start looking at what is my role in reconciliation? What is kind of the, the, the mold that God has put me in? Yeah, I mean, so this is a sermon I preach uh, called uh, uh, What to Do in Recity Moments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a reference to uh, when Moses led uh, the people of God out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Egypt behind them and Pharaoh was pursuing them. And yet the Red Sea was in front of them. And I think that in this time we're in a Red Sea moment, right? Mm-hmm. That, that like our country has um, been legally racist, creating a racialized caste system for overtly for 350 years. We're only 50 years into saying that that, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like it's, you know, like it's not even that we like undermined and we went through the books and got every, every law straight. It wasn't like we did an exorcism of the spiritual principality. We didn't do a truth, a truth and reconciliation. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened. So we basically said here's illegal. There was a little bit of like, you know, kind of like adjusting to this during the seventies. And then by the eighties, Hey, we're, we, you know, we're in a post-racial society. You got Bill Cosby on TV. He's America's dad. You know, we're good. And then by the time Barack Obama comes, we're like, man, we definitely are post-racial now. Cause we couldn't, uh, um, vote for a, a black president if it wasn't if, if our country was so racist. Well, here's the thing: if we just change, like you think about the last hundred years since we've had a car, mm-hmm. since we've had cars, automobiles, we've been driving on the right side of the road 
ever since we've had cars. And so if we all of a sudden changed the law and said, hey, you know what, tomorrow, um, as of tomorrow, we're going to uh, drive on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road. Do you realize how many car accidents will happen over the next 10, 25 decades? Yep. I mean, it's the, the, the kid that's born today, when they turn 16 years old, mm-hmm. at least they would grow up seeing that more on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But they would have folks like us talk about how it used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be decades and centuries before this becomes normative in our culture. Yeah. And so so one of the things that you want to think through is like, it's really, really important, and I, as you could do as an individual, is learn the story and the history. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and I actually recommend people spend time actually reading like historical books like The Color of Law, mm-hmm. um, cast by... Um, Isabella Wilkerson, um, uh, Stony the Road by Henry Louis Gates Jr. Uh, these, uh, um, and, and, and not just to, to make it only black and white, read um, America for Americas, mm-hmm. America for Americans by Erica Lee. Like these are significant like historical books that kind of help you to see what our country has been for the majority of the life of the country. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like for us not to get amnesia to think because we changed laws in 1968, that all of a sudden things change. Yeah. Like things don't change that quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and it's not all bad, but it's also not all good. I, you know, another great book is The End of White Christian America. You know, that, you know, Understanding with Faith, um, Jamar Tisby's book. Um, what's Jamar's book? Uh, the Color of of compromise, yeah, the color of compromise. I think these historical books, because when you look at history, it helps you see how we got here today, and then it helps you also see the patterns in which we still are engaging in. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, there's a, a trend now where folks are, like, dismissing a lot of, like, sociology and critical theory and all that kind of stuff because of the fact that, you know, they might favor capitalism over Marxism, but I mean, man, whether it's capitalism or Marxism, it's not the kingdom of God. Like either way, right? It's not the kingdom of God. And at least like looking at history, like different people can assess what the problem is in different type of ways. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you kind of understand the story and the history, how we got here, you, it can kind of give you insight about what is it you can do in your community. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that I want to call in the Red Sea moment. You got to look, you got to see what Egypt looked like. That's what you got to like look in the past. You got to see what that looked like. Yeah. You got to realize there's something front and, and, and it helps you understand like how big like the chasm that's in front of you mm-hmm. and realize, OK, this is really big. Now, here's the thing. When Moses said, hey, Egypt's in front of me, I mean, behind me, the Red Sea's in front of me and these people are complaining around me. I'm about to hit them with this ride. <laughs> like, you know, like he looks up to God and God's like, yo, why are you looking at me? Mm-hmm. See what's in the hand. Look at the thing that I've always provided you with. And so this is the thing that you want to do is like, look to see what's in your hand. Look to see the skill sets that God has given you. Look to see uh, the communities that you're a part of. Take an inventory of these things. Look at the family that you're a part of. Uh, Look at the church that you go to, your workplace. And as you are taking in this history, as you are looking at what's going on, as you're listening to what's even happening in this present moment, Mm-hmm. Then what you can begin to do is the Lord will help you to see the kind of rod and the opportunities that you have in your hand. Yeah, I think too often today we go and we try to do all of this like big stuff and like you know it really gets me in the, like when people say like hey let's 
you know, let's start a movement. You don't, you don't start movements. Like, like that's like that. That's not a branding thing. That's like a marketing thing. Yeah. And it's so like egotistical, you know, what Dr. King was doing, he was just trying to like pastor his community. Mm-hmm. What Gandhi was doing was trying to like do something that was affecting real people within their community. Yeah. And then over a period of time, you know, like with King got over the platform, uh, he learned how to leverage technology. He was an amazing speaker and, you know, it gave him a platform. But, you know, he felt like a failure most of his life. Yeah. Mother Teresa felt like a like God abandoned her for, for a significant long period of time in her life. And so, you know, that's the type of stuff that you, you know, it's called bearing the cross, right? It's, it's called, it's called, it's called uh, 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 um, dying for the sake of others, like modeling after Jesus. And so when you begin to take inventory, you look at the history, you look at the story, you look at what's going on, you take inventory of what's going on in your life. And then you you see like, hey, what's the cross that God's calling me to? What's the thing that's God calling me? Like a, a, a long obedience in the same direction. Yep. And we overestimate what we could do through social media. We overestimate what we could do in a year. We yeah. underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And that's the thing I want to encourage people to do as individuals to think like, hey, what can I do to kind of go in this direction over this next year, but over 10 years and yeah. see what, what can God do? That's, I love what you said. We overestimate what we can do on social media. That's that's it right there. And I love too, you know, I think it's important that metaphor that you brought up about what side of the road if we're driving on, if we were to change that overnight and change the law, you know, you think about just systemically, well, there's still traffic signs that are going to have to be changed. There's right. lights that are going to have to be repositioned. You know, you don't just start right. driving on the other side of the road. Not only is our nature going to have to change, but there's actual things in the system that are going to have to be completely reworked so that yep. it actually operates the way that it's supposed to. And, and that's, that's the work that we still have to do. Yeah, that's good. And I think too, you know, I love that you brought up Moses because I feel like what I hear a lot um, in a lot of conversations is the idea that um, because I'm not racist, that's good enough. Like I just, I just love people. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. So basically automatically that means that it's fixed. I'm fixed. I just love people, but there's still work to be done just because they were from Egypt did not mean that there was not still a journey ahead of them that they had to take. And because of their disobedience, it ended up taking a heck of a lot longer, but even, you know, when they did take the promised land, there was still work that had to be done to fully enter into it. And I think it's, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, segregation ended and I'm not racist and I love Jesus and I love people. So it's all good. It's because it's not all good. It's not because yeah. of the world that we live in and there is still active work to be done that we each have to bear responsibility for. Well, I mean, that, that, that notion doesn't fit in with Christian theology, right? Like, so even though we're saints, we're also sinners. And I think this is where Luther kind of comes in. And I can't think of the, the Latin word that he uses, but you're both, both a saint and a sinner at the same time, right? And so it's kind of like, we live in a culture today, particularly Christian culture, where you can confess almost any sin except two sins. That's being a, a sexual sins and being a racist, you know? And it's kind of like, if, if like I do this work, 
Yeah. Like I have racial biases. Like when I went to Turkey for the first time, all of a sudden in my gut, I felt like, man, there's a bomb that's going to go off. Mm. And I said, and I was saying things in my head. I was like, oh, wow. These people act like just like us. I'm like, I'm like, David, what do you mean these people act just like you? Like, I do this work for a living. Yeah. But what happened since 2001, I was in college at the time, 2001, what happened with the 9-11. Ever since then, everything I've heard about a terrorist mm-hmm. um, was tied to a Middle Eastern person. I got Middle Eastern friends. I got Christian Middle Eastern friends. I got Muslim Middle Eastern friends. Uh, I, I, I cognitively know that that was foolishness. Yep. I, like, and I'm cognitively, like, consciously would never say or do or anything of that nature. But the images I've seen mm-hmm. has pastored and shepherded me mm-hmm. to fear Middle Eastern people and associate them with being terrorist folks. Yeah. And so, you know, if you think about what happened with the folks in Egypt, they were like, like God was like, hey, I don't want you to take the ways of Egypt into the promised land. Mm-hmm. So this is why I got to get you. And as soon as they got a little opportunity, they, the first thing they did was they built a golden calf and said, this is this is what happened. So why do we think that all of a sudden we can be delivered from uh, 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 racism just because we just say we're not going to be racist anymore and we're just not going to talk about it? Like, like I mean, that just that, that just doesn't make Christian anthropological sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't make the like, like, like we're all going through a sanctification process, even though we're justified, yeah. we're going through a sanctification process. And so it, we, we need to allow our minds to be renewed. This is what the scripture tells us to do. And this is really key to be Christian. And, and I, the last thing I'll say is don't be mad at non-Christian sociologists that are trying to develop a sanctification process because they don't see a path that the church provided. See, that's what's happening. Like you look like people are mad at Robin D'Angelo because of some of her categories and the things that she had. And it's like, hey, she's a sociologist. She's not a theologian. Yeah. Like, you know, and if, if if the church was addressing some of the, I mean, like the issues that she was addressing, she wouldn't have had to write the book. She could have looked at us as an example about, hey, how do I deal with the residue of 350 years of of malformation and discipleship and being a racist yep. and where it was normal for, for, for white people to be the superior, the, the, the superior caste of this racialized caste system. Mm-hmm. And she is, as a sociologist, trying to figure out her stuff. Do I, do I agree with everything in her book? No. But I also don't agree with everything in, um, name whatever Christian, <laughs> Christian I, don't, I don't agree with everything in the Franklin Graham book either, you know, right? But it's like, you know, on both sides of things, we should be able to like hear one another, see what we agree to, see what we might disagree to, mm-hmm. eat the meat, spit out the bones, and really use the kingdom of God as our God mm-hmm. guide, not not each each other, but have conversation partners with everybody. Yeah, absolutely, and you you absolutely nailed it there that the world is doing the work that the church is not doing. Because the church yeah. has just not taken up the mantle. And, and even within that, there's systems that have to be broken down. I mean, my gosh, the version of Christianity that we 
have handed down to us as a colonized version of the gospel. And so until we colonize the gospel, you know, and recognize what scripture was used for a couple hundred years ago, you know, to justify, then we can't even move forward as a church either. And so there's, there's so much work to be done, but I, I have so much hope because of the work that you're doing. Thanks. I appreciate that. And one of the things I would even encourage you, and I was nuanced why I agree with what you're saying is, is that, there's a rec- like the church isn't the American, the white American evangelical church or, or, or the white mainline church. Like that's a part of the church. I mean, when I was in Israel for the first time, I remember the, the tour guy was like, I was looking at this um, Russian Orthodox um, church that was really beautiful. And he was like, that's one of the newer churches. I'm like, oh, wow. They must have got some serious architecture review. I think he's thinking like 10 years old, 15 years old. He was like, oh, that was like uh, 18th century. Or something. Like, and yeah. I was like. Yes. Uh, like, like, existed longer than he's actually <laughs> been a country. Uh, yes. Like Christianity. Like, like, and so like when you see how young American Christianity is, like we need to have some humility to it. Right. And yeah. so. The church isn't American Christianity, like you know, and even within American Christianity, the immigrant faith has been very uh, vibrant. The um, the African American tradition, like, was very resistant for a very long time to white supremacy. Yeah. You know, uh, um, Jesus was used as a tool of oppression. Yet the Holy Spirit gave those enslaved people the revelation that Jesus was a suffering servant that was more like them than the lie that the slave master was saying that Jesus was more like, like that white, than that white Jesus that they were giving us that was a tool for oppression. Yep. And so the Holy Spirit is always at work. Like, like, like Jesus is always sowing seeds of wheat when the enemy is sowing seeds of weeds and we can't allow the weeds to be uh, defining as reality and realize that, that, that God is going to bring a harvest in the end times where he's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. Mm, amen. Man, this has been so just gold, full of gold. I feel like I could sit here and keep talking to you for hours. Um, and I love that you threw some books out there too. We'll make sure that we capture all of those and include those in the show notes. So for those of you that are listening, um, you know, if you didn't get a chance to jot those down, just check out the show notes. We always post those on all of our platforms. So you can grab some of those books. I absolutely agree. About half of the ones you mentioned, I have not even read yet. So those are going to be going on my Amazon list today. Awesome. Very, very excited. I just want to say thank you. You've given us theology. You've given us truth. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation, and you've made it tangible and practical, and you've added value to each and every one of us in whatever way we have been positioned to actually do the work of reconciliation. And so I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for being here and for doing the work that you do and being willing to share just a little piece of that with us today. Thank you so much. Glad you invited me. So glad to have you. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat 
at the table. <laughs>